say good evening, and we are in the book of Ephesians. You guys got your outlines, whoever uh, needs them there? We're actually continuing on from uh, last week. We happen to be in one of the uh, all-time greatest verses ever in the Bible, because that's where we happen to be at the time. But I will say, this is uh, I'm very partial to this verse 4 of uh, chapter 1, for it shows... Not only uh, who we are, but what uh, God actually did from uh, the foundation before creation and uh, how His plan is coming about. We're uh, right at the start of a, a sentence that lasts forever, all the way to verse 14. And we're going to be talking about the chosen, about the foundation of the world, about the holy and without blame, about the ones are before God in love. And uh, that is verse 4. Kind of packed. God just stacked great doctrine together in just a few short words here. Uh, Let's start off with a word of prayer. Father, we thank You and we praise You for Your great glory, Your might and Your majesty. What a supreme God You are. The only true God. And we uh, come to worship You, to learn about You, and to make the Word of God come alive in our lives so that we would live these truths out, so that we reflect Your very nature and that we'd be made holy and uh, be being made blameless. For one day we will have everything stripped away from us as far as sin in the practical life and be able to show it in a glorified way. And we look to that day and at the same time we uh, thank You for the opportunity that we have Uh, to know You in this present time. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, we're right in verse 4. Without any further ado, no long introductions here tonight. Basically, my introduction is this. The ultimate end of God's election, of His choice, of His people, is that His people would become of His character, of His nature. He wants us to be absolutely perfect. And I'm sure everybody in here would admit that they are absolutely perfect here tonight, right? (laughs) That's where we're headed. We know one day we will be. But at the same time, in another sense, we are. In the sense that we are in Christ. We have been righteous, been made righteous, declared righteous. But yet, um, we are still in these bodies. And we are not perfect in that sense yet. He's forming us to be uh, like Him. And that's that's His whole goal, to ultimately we stand right before Him in uh, the glorified, perfect way. Um, the word that we um, have to look at in verse 4 that uh, sticks out so boldly, uh, it's not maybe in italics, it's not in uh, bold black letters or in capital letters here, but uh, you can't miss it, just as He chose us in Him. And we see that... Um, this word is kind of where we left off last week. We didn't really get into the uh, the election part and chosen. Uh, we we did, but we we didn't. The word is eklego, which actually means to pick out, to choose. Uh, it's in the voice uh, of the middle voice. That means the subject of the verb here acts in his own interest. He's the one that's doing it. He is the subject here. God, the Father, Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, this one who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing just as He chose us in Him. So it means to set apart something for oneself. Uh, that's, that's what He did. He chose someone for a definite object of a calling. And you can start with it personally, you yourself. And then you can take a look at it as, as the whole, the body of Christ. But it really means something to us personally. We, we really talked about that last week. Look and see what He has uh, done. The purpose is for His glory. And um, we know that uh, it's leading up to the reason He can get uh, this glory is that we will be perfectly standing before Him in love, holy and blameless. Incredible. That's where it's going. Now, these people who are His own are to be used for His certain purpose that He has. We live in this this time that uh, is, I think, exciting. And we see that God is doing a lot of things, and at the same time, uh, we wonder how is this all going to come out, and yet we know what the 
the so-called, I guess you could say, end would be, the uh, as we know it here on earth, is that we're looking to something much bigger, aren't we? Um, election. There's one kind of election that we see where God elects a whole country, a whole nation, I guess. You could say there was a theocracy that he started with the nation of Israel way back in the law in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, chapter 7, verse 6 through 8. And uh, he calls Israel a holy people. That means they have been set apart to the Lord, your God. The Lord, your God, has chosen you to be a people for Himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set His love on you, nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all peoples, but because the Lord loves you and because He had kept the oath which He swore to your fathers. The Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So, it wasn't of their own making. It was all of God, wasn't it? And I don't think there is a person in Christianity that could really disagree with that. I think they'd have to say with Scripture that God did this of His own choosing. And it was not because of their merits and because they were a great country and had great numbers of people, as He states here, but because He simply loved them. He wanted to do it that way. That was his of His own making. So, it's in tune with the Greek word in the New Testament, eklego, this choosing, um, middle, middle voice, if you want to put it that way. It's something that He has done on His own. And so God gets all the glory for that, doesn't He? People don't have any struggle with that. Even in Acts 9, verse 15, where you have the Apostle Paul, who had been the Pharisee Saul, God out of nowhere, seemingly, comes and brings Saul right on into the kingdom of God. And not the way that Saul would have thought it would have been. In 9.15, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. It's all chosen and suffering theirs together. Do you guys notice that? <laughs> it's kind of part of that. And those who desire to live godly in Christ will be persecuted. Well, Paul sure did. Well, this this is him. Ananias there uh, is being spoke to by the Lord. And he says, uh, uh, he is a chosen vessel of mine. I, I've chosen him to do this. This is what's going to happen. You can look in other testimonies of Paul and find out this was all of God's making. It wasn't something that Saul chose to do. Saul didn't choose to be blinded by God in that way. And to, and to come to the truth. Even though he thought he was in the truth, he was not going to come to God that way, especially through the person of Christ. That was not of his own making. And I don't think most people would argue with that. Yeah, he was a special person. A special apostle. There are probably going to be some arguments with that. But what about us? Where do we fit in this mold? Well, if you're talking about salvation, I have to think. Let's. Do you guys want to go through some nice, uh, really cool election verses just for fun, just for rehashing? They're fun, aren't they? They're really good promises, right? Oh, okay. All right, let's do that. Just kind of meditate and chew on these. I love these. I love these verses. Yeah, they're in your outline. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, yeah, we got to get there, though. All right. Are, are you there already? Are you there already? Romans 8, 29? Okay, Romans is after Acts. <laughs> Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Acts and the letter to the Romans. First and second Corinthians. <laughs> okay. Let's stop this. We're actually on... We're on a recording here. <laughs> this will be going out on the Internet so everybody in the world can hear me singing and making an idiot out of myself there. Okay. <laughs> All right. 
What? Oh, this is a great verse. You guys like this verse? Well, everybody knows verse 828. What does it say? We know that all things work together for good to those who... What? Who love God. Those are called according to His purpose. His purpose. And here we go. You ready? Verse 29. For whom He foreknew, He had that relationship with, He also predestined or predetermined to be conformed and catch this, to be conformed to the image of His Son. That's the reason that He chooses us. And we'll see that in our uh, Ephesians passage. That He, that's Christ, might be the firstborn or preeminent among many brethren. The preeminent one, the supreme one. That as we become like Him, He is seen as the supreme one. He's firstborn. He's the preeminent. <laughs> Moreover, whom He predestined, these He also called. Whom He called, these He also justified. Whom He justified, these He also glorified. Past tense, it's been done. When was it done? According to Ephesians 1.4, <laughs> before the foundation. We'll get to that phrase in a moment too. But there is one. Let's go to Romans 9.11. Talking about Jacob and Esau. For the children not yet being born, that's of, um, um, what, Abraham and Sarah? Uh, and then you have, okay, not only this, verse 10, When Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, why? That the purpose of God according to election might stand. One more reminder, not of works, but a him who calls. So and, and there in verse twelve he uses the Jacob and Esau. He was said to her, The older shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I've hated. He goes on down and he says that uh, it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but it's God who shows mercy. And you can go all the way through Romans 9. There, It's about the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign in His grace. He can choose who He wants, and He doesn't do it because of their being good or evil or anything that they've done or anything that they believed. Whatever they even had in their mind, it's not because He foresaw it, because He couldn't see anything good there because they weren't even born yet. And that's not the reason that He, that he chooses, but it's according that election might stand. Quite a verse. I think that could bolster uh, that argument uh, almost by itself, but there are many verses that support that. We've seen Romans 8. Uh, while you're in Romans 9, look in verse 19. You will say to me then, Why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, Why have you made me like this? Doesn't the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? But that's not fair. Right? That's what people are saying. But he says, What if God, wanting to show His wrath and to make His power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? Why? That He might make known the riches of His glory on the vessels of mercy which He had prepared beforehand for glory. Oh, even us, whom He called, not the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. Powerful section. Did we make that up? It's right there. It's right there, bold, black and white. Do we avoid that? Try to uh, circle around it and make it say something that it's not saying? Or that it is saying? <laughs> uh, very bold. Acts 13.48. Uh, did this one last week, but... Uh, this is always a good one to have. And we'll come back and look at what Jesus said in the Gospels too. But here are the Gospels being preached at Antioch. And Gentiles are hearing this message for the first time. And when they heard this, they were glad and glorified the Word of the Lord. What's the next sentence say? People believed it. They believed it because God had already appointed them to eternal life. That they would believe it. Wow. Rather bold, isn't it? As many as had been appointed, then they did believe. And that's what happened to us. Somewhere along the line, the Word of God came to us and we believed it. Why did we believe? 
Naturally, you didn't want to believe it. But the supernatural, regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, the work of God had come in and converted you, changed you, so that you could believe, so that you could repent. So you do believe, you do repent, but it's not on your own. It's all because God's work in you happens. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. A lot of verses that support this. When you have one or two, you can say, okay, you're reading into the text there, Dennis. That's, you're making it say something that's really not. But what happens if you see more verses that seem to say the same thing? Right? That's what we're doing. We're just looking at more solid verses here. Uh, start at verse 2. We give thanks to God always for you. That's what Paul's saying. We're giving thanks to you, uh, for, for you, to God, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, Labor of what? Love and patience of hope. What three words in there? Faith, hope, and love are the gifts that will remain. Paul uses those three words together quite frequently. In our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God, or your eklego, or the choosing that, that God had. In, in calling you uh, for, his, for His purpose and His act of choosing. So, He thanks God for their faith and hope and love that's in Christ, in the sight of God and Father, knowing that God had chosen you, that He had elected you. First um, Peter 1, 2. Just a few verses here. He's talking about to... Uh, um, Peter is preaching to the ones out in the dispersion, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, all scattered out, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. The foreknowledge. That means knowing you intimately. Not seeing that you would be good enough to choose Him, but that He related with you even before even time began. In sanctification for the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Same thing that's in our text tonight in, in Ephesians 1.4. It's for that we would be holy and blameless, or in this way, obedient, and being sprinkled by the blood of Christ. Being like Him. Oh, boy, what the blessing it is. Okay, let's go to, uh, let's go to the book of John. And in the book of John, we have... A lot of verses where Jesus talks about this same topic of election. What about election? Is it really biblical? Well, did, did Jesus say it? Did he really teach it? Are you are you kidding me? John six thirty seven. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me, I'll by no means cast out. The very ones he's chosen, he will not lose them. So if you hear of a doctrine of losing salvation, you have to um, respond to this verse. This is a really key verse here. If um, somebody teaches that, I think they need to be shown some verses that deal with this. Our Romans 8 that we dealt with earlier would uh, be bringing that up. That's very key because I think it attacks the very character, the very nature of God when He can't protect and hold the ones that He has chosen and put in His kingdom for salvation. I think it's serious when you can say, yeah, but you can choose to leave God and turn your back on Him. Well, people don't turn their back on Him, but uh, and we would too. Anybody would. Everybody would. If it weren't for the persevering of God Himself. He perseveres with us. We read a verse earlier on that. Um, and there are many verses dealing with the, the, that security that we have in Him. Um, we don't come to Him on our own, and we cannot keep ourselves in that. If, we, if it was up to us to keep it, we would be lost in a moment. I'm so thankful for that. But what else does He say in verse 44 to support what we're talking about? No one can come to Me unless the Father who sent Me draws him impels him, draws him by an inward power, as the idea, induces him to come. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him 
and I will raise him up at the last day. That means whenever that resurrection time for a, for a new body, a glorified body, when that happens, I'll guarantee it. In our Ephesians 1, all the way to verse 14, it talks about eternal security. So, have you noticed all the way from before the foundation of the world, all the way on into eternity, that we are chosen and we're kept all the way through? That should never be conflicted with, should it? That is so basic because it's all about who God is. And it's about His nature and His character. So verse 44 says you can't just come up and go to Him and choose God because He says you can't do that. The Father is the one who draws Him. Look at verse 65, same chapter. And He said, Therefore I have said to you that no one, He repeats it, can come to Me unless it has been granted to Him by the Father. A gift. It has been granted. That was not on the sheet. Uh, uh-oh. I ad-libbed a little bit. Sorry about oh, that. I need to mark that. That's a, good <laughs> That's a good one. He repeats it, doesn't he? As if, if somebody didn't get it the first time. But you know what the reaction is? The natural reaction of a person when they first hear this teaching might have the desire of saying, Hey, I'm getting out of here. This guy's crazy. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. We're not talking about the twelve, but we're talking about all the people who had been following him. Many of them left. And this is when Jesus said, hey, do you want to go away too? And, of course, Simon Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And verse 70, Jesus answered and said, did I not choose you, the twelve? And one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. Even though Judas was not uh, a true believer, he is not one who was saved, he still chose him to be in, the, in that twelve. Uh, the eleven of them were true, but one was not. But uh, that was part of the plan, too. Incredible. Second um, Thessalonians chapter 2. What do you do with all these verses? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. I think we did a 1 Thessalonians earlier, right? I'm kind of scattered out here. Sorry about all these jumping all over the place. You're just trying to get us to wear out our Bible so you have to buy a new one. That's right. Know, know where those books of the Bible are at. <laughs> where are those Bibles at? Come to Alpha and Omega. Get a commercial in here. Buy a new Bible. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you. This sounds familiar. We've read something like this before. Brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Big words there. To which He called you. How does He do it? He does it by the Gospel to which He called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast. Hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. So, He gives thanks because of the love of God. And God did it from when? The beginning. So that what He did, He calls them to holiness sanctification, that's what our Ephesians is dealing with. This is why He calls us. He calls us so that we would be holy and blameless. He calls us so that we would be like Christ. He calls us so that you will be one day perfect before Him. But He sanctifies us. Belief in the truth, verse 13. He causes us to be born again. I think Peter mentions that about the Word is the very seed that comes in and makes us be born. See, and then he calls us by that that gospel, the word of God. Um, how about Ephesians? Ephesians two. We go back to our uh, Ephesians book, and one of these days we'll get to chapter two. But verse one, you already know this. And you, what, what did he do with us? He made alive. He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked 
according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power there. So the way of the world, the way of the, the devil, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh. What's our enemies? What's the three enemies? World, flesh, and the devil. Do you see it here? The, the prince of the power there, the course of the world in verse 2. Here's verse 3, the lust of our flesh. That's our enemies. We walked in that. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature. There's the problem. Our nature is children of wrath. Just as the others. And then verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses... And Bill, how's it go about that dead man? What did you say the other day? Last week? Dead men don't make choices. Yeah. Dead men don't choose or something. Yeah. 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 How can they, right? Yeah. Yeah. Made us alive together. That's just like what he did in verse 1. He made us alive together, gave us life, regenerated us with Christ. By grace you have been saved. That's in parentheses, isn't it? And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why? That in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Here's the great verse. For by grace, right here in context, He's been talking about grace. You were dead. You couldn't do anything. You couldn't choose. But He can. And He says, okay, Here's the context that everybody memorizes. They always or they memorize this verse, knowing where we have been in this chapter, saying that we were dead, and he's already said it enough times, and he said he brought you alive. Now he says, for by grace. I want you to remember that. It's by grace. Grace plus our belief, right? To be saved? Well, well belief is a major element, but we'll see in this verse, we see how we get that faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith. The faith is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. He said, but I believe. Yeah, you did. How did you believe? God gave you that faith. You didn't have it. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's not about boasting. The moment you say, yeah, but I believe. You know what you've just done? You've just boasted before, before everybody and before God that you get a little credit out of the deal. But I believed. Yeah, Bill. So You going to argue with that? No. I, I just. Why did it take so long for the reformers to to get it. I mean, to to bring that up. I mean, because was it because we didn't have the translations and because people didn't study it? I mean, it looks pretty plain to me as far as English. Well, I think for one, that's a good one. Did, did they not have Bibles, right? Um, and where was the Bible at for about a thousand years in the Dark Ages? Where was the Bible at? Was It was in every home, right? Everybody had two or three different study Bibles, right? Yeah. Like we did. We didn't have Alpha Omega Christian books. <laughs> the, uh, the church hid the Bible. Okay. And when we say the church, that's uh, basically saying the Roman Catholic Church. I'm just giving truth here, not blasting anything. I'm just saying that's where it was at. And uh, as a whole, they didn't want the common man to have the Bible. And uh, so when uh, you don't have the Bible, you don't have it to read, and then all you can hear is what they're saying in some language you can't even understand. That's in Latin. <laughs> and if you're German, or if you're uh, English, or what have you, and they're saying things in a different language, uh, how are you ever going to know what the Word of God is? But that's no reason. Because if they were chosen by God, they're even during that time. Mm. That's right. And He's going to make sure. And by the way, there are plenty of those all out through the dark ages that God chose. And they came to the truth. Some of them died because they they, they came to that truth and guess what they did with it? They well, they, about it. <laughs> they started talking about yeah. it. They gave it away. And of course, um, they would be killed. Oh, they were outcasts. Waldensians, people like that, outcasts. Around 1100 or so, they started having councils that outlawed people from translating the Bible in the first place. So it was illegal to own anything at that point, especially with the Wald- Waldenians. Mm-hmm. They were completely outlawed. Yeah, well, man, enemies of the church. But God has a way. And and every time that uh, people get martyred, what happens? The, the, the seed gets scattered, and what happens? You, know, you get these guys just scattered all over. Savonarola, uh, he was uh, from Italy. He was one of those guys pre-reformers. 
Savonarola gave up his life, uh, actually. Um, and then you think of the, the Waldensians, 11, 1200s, 1300s, 1400s. It didn't get out on a big way. Luther gets a lot of the credit. But that was the time that where God decided, okay, this is the perfect timing. I'm going to get it out in a big way now. He could have done it before then. But there were, God had his chosen, like Eldon said, all through the Dark Ages. But it's interesting, it, didn't, it was all the way until the Reformation that it really started blooming. And once the Word of God was able to be printed, and by the way, isn't it interesting that the printing press was invented right at that same time. And then the translations were found. Um, you get the, the case of um, um, putting the, the Greek text together. Um, translating that. Uh, Luther put it in German. Then later you have uh, Wycliffe. Uh, he puts it in English, and uh, then you finally get a Bible that the English people can read, German people can read, all countries. They finally get their Bibles, and all of a sudden an explosion happens all over Europe especially, whether it be in Switzerland, you have the Swiss Reformation, or you have the Reformation, of course, that was happening in France, uh, where uh, you have a, a revolution there. <laughs> uh, I don't know how that turned out. Uh, eventually, not so good. I guess you look at numbers, but it worked. Uh, of course, you have uh, Calvin and Beza and some of those guys in, in uh, Switzerland. Uh, you have uh, uh, later on in England, you think of the great uh, great men of God that were used there, and eventually you have the Puritans or uh, what, in Germany, of course, uh, all over Europe. And the Word of God spread, and the Reformation happened, and this was one of the teachings that was discovered and it's still here today very minutely taught but it is being taught I think bigger in our time now than it was 20 years ago there is a discovery of these truths and when people find out what it is they get excited and it's fascinating to see what happens when uh, God's word comes to uh, fruition as far as what salvation is so, yeah I got a question, um, kind of a rhetorical question, but I just want to throw it out there, um, kind of related to this. What, do you think that um, all things that come to pass are already decided before the foundation of the world, and then they're just um, played out in eons of time. I mean, would the Bible teach that? That all things that come to pass are already decided in God's mind? Depends on how we're going to look at it. Are we going to look at it from God's eyes or are we going to look at it from well, man's from eyes? <laughs> yeah, from the Bible. Well, I can start with salvation and be absolutely for sure because we're going through those verses right here. All things. Is God in control of all things? Is God absolutely sovereign? I guess you could say, does is he is he in is he involved in everything that happens in the world? Has he created everything? Yeah. Is he involved in the actions? Does he care about the least little thing in our lives? Sometimes He can allow us to do things. Does He make a sin? Never. Because God never tempts us to do that, does He? But as far as... And, and we know His desire is to make us holy, to sanctify us. But yet we still can choose in our flesh, as being Christians, to do things that are not honoring to God. Now, did He foreordain for that to happen? I think you would say No. I mean, He doesn't foreordain us to sin. But in another sense, He controls those situations. And we do see in Romans 8.28, He's going to what? He's going to work everything. He's never surprised by anything. Uh, so in the sense of whenever sin happens, does he, does he make something like that happen? No. But He's already got that plan of how He's going to operate, I guess you can say in a, in a human way. I don't know how you, you know, we can term a lot of this. But um, God is in absolute control, yet at the same time, people, let's say Christians are free to act upon what they are going to do. And hopefully they'll be geared by the Word of God and the Spirit of God that they will choose the things that would honor God. 
what uh, kind of brought that question out is the, the verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 10, Ephesians there. Uh, I, this, is, this is one of the things that I draw comfort from, but I want to make sure my understanding is approaching the right you know, the biblical point here. You know, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. So, in other words, he not only preordained that who would be his, but he had he had our place in his kingdom already designed. Right. In other words, you know, if you're going to be a, you know, I mean, this is just one little example, but if, if you're going to be a a missionary, he that that was his plan. Yeah, and whatever gift that you have that's so you different. That yeah. Well, and don't you think yeah. it's like everything else, like prayer? And, you know, he doesn't really need our permission, or he doesn't really need for us to agree to do the right thing. You know, he can yank us along like like you do your little kid, you know, by yanking them along. He can do that. But he lets us be a part of the salvation plan of the ministry or of the evangelist. He lets us be, he lets us have part of the blessing. Yep. Yeah, the reason that, the reason it's a comfort to me is because it backs up to me that state that verse backs up the election. It's like he not only chose us before the foundation, but he chose what we were going to be doing. So it's like he had a purpose for us mm-hmm. you know, in the in for his glory that and he had it all worked out. Yeah, this is not by accident you're at where you're at in your life. Yeah. You know, even even amongst God's people here tonight, this is not an accident at all. You know, God has put this kind of thing together. When you really believe in that kind of God, then don't don't you take great comfort in that, knowing that He is in much better control than I am? Well, one of the things that really helped me out with that in, in having the sovereignty of God explained is that is that God invented time. Yeah. But he exists outside of it. Mm-hmm. So, in the eyes of God or in the mind of God, which we cannot fathom, but one of the basic principles that I've come to come to realize is that since he's outside of time, he's already seen the beginning and he's already seen the end. Mm-hmm. So, everything that has ever happened or is ever going to happen in the mind of God has already happened. So, he knows when you, he knows two weeks from now that you're going to sin. What he, you know, and he knows what it is already before it's already happened. So that's why I just never understood that joke about the Calvinist that falls down the stairs. Oh. He goes, oh, I'm glad that's over. <laughs> I just never thought that was funny. I get it. <laughs> but that's like, I mean, apparently that's like the funniest joke, but I, I just don't get it. Everybody's laughing. I know, but I don't get it. <laughs> So anyway, you know, everything that happened has already been preordained since the beginning of time because God is outside of time. God caused you to, to fall down those steps yeah, well, right there, right? I, like I said, I just don't get that why everybody thinks that's so funny. But they're still laughing. Well, at least we defer to God when we think that way. Like, you know, not that we blame Him, but we say, well, it was all part of thing. How can I use this for God's glory, right? Okay. Okay, that was a toughie, Bob. I didn't really give a real answer on it. He was looking for a biblical answer. I, I wanted to open it up more for people to think about it. Yeah, because you knew we'd step in it, didn't you? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm right there with you. <laughs> Tripping over it, yeah. Okay, First uh, Corinthians 2.12. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Things have been freely given to us. Now, we're not using the word election here, but if you if you go back and look at this text here, he's talking about Christ crucified. If you go back to the end of chapter 1, we read it last week, uh, don't have enough time to do it this week, but it's about the he's chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. Oh, sorry about that, Bill. Put to shame the wise. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. 
Okay, but he talks about Christ crucified, the Spirit of God, then comes up, and this is how we're able to understand these great mysteries, like in verse 7. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the ages for our glory, for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would, have, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. He didn't let them know. It was certain ones that he wants to take. And it's usually the ones who are not many mighty, not many noble, not many what? <laughs> Rich, what have you. And then he says, I has not seen or ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Who knows what all else we're going to be blessed with. But he's given us the word of God and the Spirit of God to be able to discern or be able to understand the things of God and His great plan, even what we're talking about tonight, and be able to get a little bit of a handle on this great, awesome story. And so that's what he's saying here. Look in verse 10. But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God, the deep things. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received, not here we go, this is what we read, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Now here we go. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But what about that natural man? What about the unbeliever? Well, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, nor can he know them. He can't know them because they're spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one, for who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. Those are chosen ones we can know some things about God that the natural man and what we once were. We were the natural man before Christ. We couldn't know those things because we can't know those things. Romans 8, verse 8 and 9, I think. Romans 8, 8 and 9. We cannot know those things. Okay, anyway. um, How about 2 Corinthians chapter 4? Still talking about this, uh, this idea of election. You know what? We're pretty well spending the whole the whole Bible study on this this one that we were supposed to finish last week. Is that okay? <laughs> okay. Second Corinthians four. This I think explains a lot right here. Second Corinthians four I think is the answer to how faith originates. We turn to this passage a lot down through the years, um, starting in in uh, verse. Did I say three? But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe. The God of this age is Satan. He's blinded them. Lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. They're blinded. God lets them be blinded. For we do not preach ourselves, but... Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, just as in creation. There was darkness, then there was light. He commanded it, He spoke it, boom, it happened. Six-day literal creation. <laughs> I like that. Okay, he, he did it. Who has shown in our hearts. Now, He gives the spiritual thing. Just as he spoke and he did that action, he didn't get any help from the angels because there weren't any angels around. There was no other help from creation. It was just him. He did it. Here's what happened as far as our our salvation is concerned. Who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He did it. He opened us up. He shone the light in us. Regenerated. Electrified. The dead become alive. Because they were dead. Now they're alive. And then he says in verse 7, he talks about power. <laughs> the power of God, it's, it's of Him, not of us. We're just earthen vessels. Show the, so the power of God may be known. It's all about Him. All about Him. All about Him. Second Timothy 1 9. I love this one because it goes right in with our Ephesians 1 4 passage. It's like saying almost the same thing. 
in a little bit more words maybe. Um, verse 9. Speaking about the gospel and the power of God. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. And then he has to say something to qualify. Not according to our works. Does that sound like Ephesians 2? Not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace. And here's the time element. I want to get that involved. Which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Again, it eliminates any kind of glory that we can take. But I, 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 no, <laughs> I, I, I is not in this. It's all God or nothing. Just saying what the Scripture says here, and we we see it. It's before time began. Now that's kind of going along uh, with. Uh, our Ephesians 1 4. In, in, in our second Thessalonians that we read earlier, you're not sanctified, you're not separated because you believe it, but in order that you may believe it and that you will believe it. That's why you're sanctified. You're sanctified so that, in order that you may believe this. In your Second Corinthians, you see how faith originated. We were blinded by the God of this age. The God of this world blinds and makes men incapable of believing. They're already that way as far as the nature is concerned. He just makes it a little more difficult physically, I guess you could say. Uh, but God is much bigger than that. And the only true and living God comes in, shines into our hearts, and then we believe. This is the doctrine of regeneration. That really needs to be taught today. Because when you understand that, and you understand you're dead, and you understand the need for a light to come in outside themselves to turn them into life, because it would be absolutely ridiculous for a dead man to come back to life on his own. We now have the ability to receive the truth. We didn't before. I've got on your outline there, we're getting near the end here tonight, um, who are some people who believe this? And, and Bill brought up the idea of the Reformation. Reformation is really where it became known in big numbers. Before there were other people, God has always had His people, but all of a sudden it was like one of the greatest revivals in all of the history of the church where just literally thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of people became believers because of the truth of the Word of God and because God chose them. Uh, as we've had liberalism come into the church within the last 100 years, 150 years, even kind of stretch that and go a little bit before that, and you had, you had a, a, a revival that I call to be mainly a fake revival that was in the early 1800s, the Second Great Awakening. As a whole, I uh, really have problems with a lot of that. It was very man-centered. Probably be against about everything that we have talked about tonight as far as the scriptures that we've gone to. There was a great awakening, and that's because the people started dying spiritually after the Reformation. The Reformation started in the early 1500s. And we can think of Martin Luther and then John Calvin. But these doctrines go back all the way back to Jesus, go all the way back to Moses and his writings, as we saw in Deuteronomy. Trace it and see what Jesus said about it. See what Paul says about it through the epistles where we found most of that. But we saw Peter, what he thought of that too, didn't we? We saw what John the Apostle said about it. So Jesus, Peter, and Paul... Moses, I uh, think we've got some people on our side here. How about as time went on? Early in church history, people needed to be taught some theology. And along came a guy that God rose up by the name of Augustine. And Augustine brought this doctrine into the light. And he wrote much on it. And later on, a thousand years later, the Reformers 
borrow much of his writing and bring it back into play. And this is all based on Scripture, based on many of the verses that we just read here tonight. Augustine, who the Roman Catholics would like to claim him, and they do, St. Augustine. Uh, but the Catholic Church back at that time was slightly different than what it is now. <laughs> but he, wrote, he uh, was a great theologian. And he was very biblical. There was another guy that came along, and we were talking like 1100s earlier. Uh, one of those guys that uh, wrote about this, and he was in the Catholic Church. He's a saint. Uh, he's known as Thomas. Uh, anybody that studies theology, uh, whenever Thomas is mentioned, they're not thinking the Apostle Thomas, but uh, Thomas Aquinas, which you're familiar with uh, as being uh, St. Thomas Aquinas, uh, uh, Catholic. But he was a theologian who believed these very same things. He taught uh, salvation by grace. Um, the, uh, if, especially if you read and listen to R.C. Sproul, this is one of his favorites. I'm not saying you have to endorse him wholly, but uh, Sproul says that uh, his doctrine of justification by faith was as good as uh, Augustine or Luther or Calvin or any of the reformers and anything that we'd hold to today. Um, I don't know, I've never really read too much of Thomas Aquinas, but uh, if Sproul says it, I have to agree with a lot that he says. Uh, I don't know if I would go wholeheartedly. He, he would put him up as the, the greatest philosopher, theologian of them all. Uh, I don't know. Uh, Luther, Calvin. Calvin is uh, the one who brought uh, systematic theology into huge play. One of the greatest books uh, ever written is in a two-volume set, and it's called... Um, um, the Institutes, the, the, the Christian uh, Institutes of the Christian Religion. There we go. Yeah, thanks, Bob. Uh, John Calvin. And what that is is about, it starts about with who God is and then who man is. And he shows the doctrines. He separates those and gets the, um, those theologies down and, and systematizes it in a way that can be understood by the common man, one of the greatest preachers. Uh, he has a bad name today, and you ask people why, and they'll say, well, he, uh, I don't know, he's, he, was, he didn't believe in evangelism. And those people who say that, uh, ask him to prove that, because he was probably one of the greatest missionaries, if not the greatest outside of the Apostle Paul, because uh, his gospel went all over Europe and even on to the West here. Uh, moving on, Ulrich Zwingli is another one, John Knox, Martin Bucer, the divines who wrote the Westminster Confession, uh, John Bunyan, Pilgrim's Progress, one of the greatest, uh, biggest books ever uh, read by mankind, uh, second only to the Bible I've understood. John Owen, one of the greatest theologians ever in church history. The Puritans, George Whitfield, who was part of the Great Awakening uh, here in America and in, and in England. Jonathan Edwards, uh, maybe one of the greatest minds that America has ever produced. He believed in those doctrines that we've taught. William Carey, one of the greatest missionaries. The whole missionary movement back in the 1700s, you look them up, you'll find out that all those missionaries believed in the doctrine of election and predestination and uh, the deadness of man, that they all were uh, lost and they could not choose God, and it took awakening of God, and they present the good news and the gospel in that manner. Uh, if you look at the Baptist missions from very early on, they were all very solid teaching these doctrines. Uh, Adoniram Judson being one of those. Um, you have Charles Spurgeon of the 1800s. People quote him all over the place today. And uh, many, in our, many Arminian pastors will quote Spurgeon all over the place. And Spurgeon was... Uh, was proud to call himself a Calvinist, not because of Calvin himself, but because of these doctrines that are there, and you can form that idea of where he's coming from. It's about the sovereignty of God. Yeah, Barb. Okay, I haven't asked this question, but you've used the term several times the last couple of weeks. What is an Arminian? Arminian yeah. would be, say, they would come, and that's kind of what we dealt with last week, but I didn't, probably didn't use that name. An Arminian basically is saying that hey, we know God chooses us. Let's give that to them. They'll, they will first say that. And, and they, they have to. They're bound by Scripture. And I'm not calling all Arminians that they're lost and they're not believers. But here, here's the problem. How do they view God in, a, in an absolute sovereignty and grace as far as salvation is concerned? How do they view Him? Is it because 
he says, okay, here I am, I'm offering my son, now it's up to you to choose me. And so basically what their view is, is man has to choose God. He has to receive this gift. And he can choose to take it or not. The problem is they don't identify how dead a person is. How dead do you have to be? Ephesians 2, it says you're dead. Uh, In other places, we see it all over. Romans chapter 3, it shows how dead we are. There's nothing good about us. So an Arminian says, yeah, we know there's nothing good in us, but... So they had to make up something that was unbiblical, and it was done by John Wesley, who said, oh, prevenient grace. What you have, yeah, you're dead, but you have enough grace there to be able to choose God. The only problem with that is that you can't find that anywhere in Scripture. Look at all the Scriptures that we dealt with. Can we put that in the text and make it say that? Well, apparently... Most of the church today, where we have arrived, it wasn't in the Reformation, but it's a very man-centered gospel. That came out in the Remonstrance in the early 1600s. Within a century of the Reformation that had happened, people already started going for the man-centered gospel, saying, yeah, God chose me, but... I chose Him, and so therefore He chose me. He looked down through the annals of time, He saw that I was going to choose Him, so therefore He chose me. He saw that I was going to be good enough. He saw that I was going to be smart enough and intelligent enough to choose Him. And so therefore He chose me. That is an Arminian thought. Very man-centered. That's a a different look at foreknowledge than what the Bible teaches. Yeah. They're saying God foresaw that. But in the Greek... in the relationship with us before... Right. Right. All he does, it did was see it. Yeah. And the Greek text does not say that. It does. It does not. You got to be fair with the text. What is it saying? It is. It is. It's, it's, it's named after who's it? James Arminius. Is that yeah, James Arminius. And here's the main. Here's the main thing. You know, we say that we are dead or uh, totally depraved. They will say, yeah, man by nature has a sin nature, but you have a little bit of good in you. Okay? Kind of like Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I know there's good in them. <laughs> okay. The, the, uh, the people who would be on the Reformer side or Calvinism side would use the, the total, total depravity of man, right? Okay. Who would they be in Star Wars? What's that? Captain Captain Captain. And people around me. Oh, that's that's Star Trek. They would say that it would not be an unconditional election. It's conditional based upon what you do. We see an unconditional love by God in the Bible. An Arminian says, no, listen, it's conditional. What I'm doing is I'm giving the first letters of what would be the uh, the Calvinism side. Um, they would say, well, okay. he um, the the other side, the Arminian would say he 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 actually died for everybody in all the world, and he paid for their sins. Some of them would go on as far as to say he paid for everybody's sins. So then you run into a dilemma. If he if the sins are paid for, the debt is paid. Then you. Logically, where does that lead you to? Universalism. Universalism, which means what? Everybody is saved. If he paid for all their sins, and that's the gospel that's presented today. Jesus Christ died for everybody. And so, therefore, and you'd say, well, does that mean that my sins are paid for? Yes. Okay, if my sins are paid for, then why do I have to pay for them again in hell? That's a double payment. God's justice was met at the cross. So the Calvinists would take a limited atonement in that he died for the ones that he chose. So they don't believe in election. They don't believe in total depravity. They don't believe in the limited atonement. Actually, I don't even believe they believe in the atonement for the most part. And then there is the irresistible grace. An Arminian would say that, uh, oh, I can resist it. I can turn my back on it. So that means everybody would turn their back on it according to Romans 8, uh, verse 8 and 9, let's say. So irresistible grace, and then 
and we're, we're done here. This next one's perseverance. An Arminian will say that you will lose your salvation. Or you could lose your salvation. Yeah, yeah, right. You could. You can turn your back on God. Well, we have too many verses. Too many. Way too many. The whole of chapter, uh, the whole book of Ephesians, will will show you that you will persevere. What do we have here? This is what was in the reform movement, and the Remonstrants came along and doubted all those. They had the five points. Calvinism didn't have a five-point thing laid out. That was in defense of this. They met together for months and months and months and came up with what this is, which is total depravity and unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance. The Christian does have security in Jesus Christ. And that's because it's already been done. Anyway, um, I think we'll close here. I think this doctrine is of great importance I think it refers to the sovereignty of God, the majesty of God, the supremacy. And if the plan of salvation was left up to mankind, it would fail. Severely, ultimately, to to, to zero. But if it's from God, it's certain. So, although my understanding of this doctrine, I believe, does not determine my salvation. I don't believe just because you believe it is going to make you saved or not saved. But it does determine my joy of my salvation and my security and my certainty because it is all about God. It's all to His glory. Next week we'll get into the time that this happened. Can you believe we didn't even get into the end of this verse? Next time, before the foundation of the world. We have to go back and talk about the tulip every now and then. We really do. Yeah, that's good. Did that help, Barb? Thank you for asking that. Okay.